Hello, and welcome to Dr. Music, Season 3, Episode 1. I'm Matthew Marullo. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been quite a long time since the end of Season 2. Life has gotten pretty busy, but the main thing that I've been working on was writing, editing, and publishing my fourth novel. Uh, As you probably know from prior episodes, I am an amateur novelist on the side, as is my daughter. My daughter, Sophia, also has one book out there. She started that book at the age of seven. But anyway, I've been busy with this fourth novel. It's called Welcome to Opine. It's kind of a science fiction political satire. I'm very proud of it. Been sending it out for reviews. I was very happy to get a positive review from Kirkus because they could be tough. Season three is going to be a little different from season one and two and that each episode is going to be a very unique topic. Every episode is going to be kind of a surprise topic. You don't really need to listen to seasons one and two to appreciate season three, but if you have listened to those seasons, you know that every once in a while I'll talk about musical selections in theoretical terms. It really helps to have somewhat of a background in music theory, when you're discussing great music, whether it be classical music or music of film. And it really enlightens the listener because it's like a looking glass into why the music works. Why is it great? Why are they classics? Why have they survived? But of course, as I've discussed in previous episodes, the main reason for listening to this music is to enrich your life. Needless to say, A lot of not-so-great things have been going on in the world over the last few years, and it really helps to have an enriching experience simply by listening to music or reading a great book. It really helps to make life more meaningful and it makes sense out of every day that you live. And sometimes it could be challenging to enrich in your life because there are so many distractions. I'm not just talking about the normal distractions like earning a living and bringing up a family, but distractions like your phone, social media, and sometimes it could just eat away at your time. And before you know it, you're spending way too much time either watching TV or on your phone. Whenever I talk about this, I like to draw the analogy of, let's say, your favorite dessert cake. You go in the supermarket, and there it is, your favorite dessert cake. And it's such a distraction because you know that you've probably been eating it a little bit too much but it tastes so good you love it and you just can't resist. That's a distraction because you really probably shouldn't be eating it too much because it's not good for you. And there's so many distractions in the supermarket. You Sometimes you find yourself buying a lot of stuff that you probably shouldn't be buying, or at least you're buying it way too often. That's kind of like the same thing with social media and the phone. It's something that even if you really enjoy it, It's a bad distraction because it takes you away from the finer things in life, and you kind of lose sight of those finer things in life, and it happens quite often. In the same way, a person could get distracted too often by buying his or her favorite dessert food instead of something healthier. A person can equally get distracted by spending too much time on the phone where they could be doing something far more enriching and far more healthier for their mind. And I want everybody to know this is not just my personal opinion. Just as eating too much junk food is not good for your body, it has been scientifically proven over and over again in numerous scholarly articles 
that spending too much time on the phone or social media is just not good for your mind. So what do you say we have an enriching experience right now? Now, if you read the description for this episode, I talked about how the birth of the universe is related to music. That's not your everyday topic for a music podcast. I'm hoping by the end of this episode, you'll agree that this is a topic interesting enough to bring up the next time you have dinner with friends. Now, in order for us to understand this, we have to talk about our good friend, Pythagoras. You remember Pythagoras, right? He was the famous mathematician and musician from the 6th century BCE, famous for the Pythagorean theorem, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, in a right triangle. Well, he was also famous for mathematically demonstrating what's called the harmonic series or the overtone series, a series of tones that are above a fundamental tone that you play. Now, when you play a tone on a musical instrument, of course, that's the only tone you really hear, but there's a series of tones above it that are mathematically proportional to the original tone and contribute to its acoustical quality. Now, I'd like you to picture in your head a one string instrument. It's called a monochord. So just imagine a string stretched between two stopped points such that when you pluck it, you get a note. Pythagoras did an experiment. What he did is, he first he plucked the string, and let's say you get a note like this. Then he stopped the string halfway. So it's almost like when you see a violinist pressing his or her fingertip to a string. And of course, when you do that, you're shortening the length of the part that you're plucking. And when you shorten the length of a string, then you're going to get a higher tone. So Pythagoras stopped this monochord halfway, and then he plucked one half, and he found that he got this. That happens to be an octave above the first tone. Then... He divided the string into thirds instead of halves, and he plucked one-third, and he got this tone. Then he divided into fourths. You see the pattern? He plucked the fourth, and he got this tone. So, so far, we have the original tone, which is called the fundamental, Then the first overtone, the second overtone, third overtone. Then Pythagoras kept dividing the string in fractional proportions such that he got progressively higher and higher tones. So he divided the string by the fourth, by the fifth, by the sixth, by the seventh, which gave him higher overtones. And I'm just going to play for you a bunch of overtones that he got after he used this method. So here's the fundamental again. And here's some overtones above it. So the important thing to realize is that when you play any tone on any musical instrument, the tone that you hear is called the fundamental frequency, that's the tone you actually hear. But over this tone, there are frequencies that correspond to what's called a harmonic progression or fractional divisions of the fundamental, like I was describing. So that when Pythagoras plucked 
his monochord, that was just the fundamental. But then when he started these fractional divisions of the string by the half, by the third, by the fourth, by the fifth, by the sixth, he was really discovering what occurs naturally, and that is these integer multiples of a fundamental frequency. They occur naturally. They were here from the beginning of time. Pythagoras was just one of the first people to physically demonstrate it using a simple string. Now, you can access these overtones on any musical instrument. For instance, on a string instrument, if you lightly touch your finger at a particular position on a string, you can access the overtones over the fundamental note, whatever that fundamental note is. On a wind instrument, you could change your embouchure, that's the position of your lips, to access those overtones. Or sometimes, like for instance on a flute or a clarinet, you do what's called overblowing. That means you're producing enough wind in the instrument to access those overtones. A more technical way of saying that is increasing the velocity of the airstream, which just means blowing harder. Now, I can't get too much into the physics, but instruments sound the way they are because of the harmonic series. In other words, it's the harmonic series that gives a particular instrument its sonic quality, or its timbre, that's spelled T-I-M-B-R-E. That's simply a word for the sonic quality of an instrument. So a flute, for instance, sounds like a flute, not just because of what it's made out of and how long it is, but also because of the harmonic series. The harmonic series gives the flute its acoustical quality. It wouldn't sound like a flute without this natural mathematical relationship called the overtone series. The way the instrument is built makes certain overtones stronger than others. It really depends on the physics of the particular instrument we're talking about. Well, let me throw two names of scientists at you. Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson. Do you recognize those names? Don't feel bad if you don't. But they're famous radio astronomers. Why are they famous? Well, in the early 60s, they were working in Bell Labs, and they were experimenting with a new antenna. It was called the Holmdel antenna because it was stationed in Holmdel, New Jersey. And they were essentially using this antenna like a telescope. Being radio astronomers, they were trying to measure radio signals in the Milky Way galaxy. And they happened upon a very strange static or signal that they just couldn't identify. At first, they thought it was bird droppings in their antenna, but that wasn't it. Well, they had discovered what's called the cosmic microwave background radiation. Why is this microwave background radiation so special, so important? Because the theory went that if the Big Bang indeed did occur, then a physical relic of that huge explosion eons ago should be this microwave background radiation, radiation in the microwave spectrum. And they essentially discovered this microwave background radiation by accident. They weren't looking for it. Meanwhile, there were a couple scientists at Princeton who were looking for it. They were called by Penzias and Wilson. And when they found out that these two other scientists found it by accident, they said, well, fellas, we've been scooped. So Penzias and Wilson got the 1978 Nobel Prize in Physics for accidentally discovering something something that confirmed the theory of the Big Bang. Now, here's the thing. That cosmic microwave background radiation 
was really only in existence 380,000 years after the Big Bang. That is to say, 380,000 years after what's called the Planck time. The Planck time is the earliest known interval of time after the Big Bang. How early are we talking? We are talking 10 to the negative 43 of a second. That is 43 zeros after a decimal point. Talk about a fraction of a second. But physicists do know the sequence of events after the Planck time up until today. And they know, for instance, that before 380,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe was opaque. That means particles could not roam freely. They were bouncing into each other. And if you had been alive during that time, well, it's impossible for you to be alive during that time because it was incredibly hot. But if you were alive, you wouldn't be able to see anything because photons, particles of light, were not permitted to roam freely. But then by 380,000 years, the universe had cooled down sufficiently so that photons could roam freely. And that is what we mean by this cosmic background radiation. Because according to the Big Bang, if it did happen, then we should be able to see this relic radiation of photons after 380,000 years. And we know the density, we know exactly how much of it we should see compared to the density of other types of radiation in the universe because we worked it out mathematically. So we know exactly how intense that radiation should be today based on extrapolating from the math. And it turns out that the radiation should be precisely 2.735 degrees Kelvin, and that is exactly what was found. Now, if you're wondering why I'm talking about astronomy in a music podcast, don't worry, it's coming. It has to do with the harmonic series. So remember, before 370 to 380,000 years after the Big Bang, before that, it was basically just a plasma of particles, electrons, protons, and photons. Photons are particles of light. But the photons couldn't get out because it was an opaque plasma. But then the temperature began to cool. Now, it turns out these particles were expanding and contracting. They're called contractions and rarefications. You could just picture a wave. So the particles are coming together, they're contracting, and then a rarefication as they expand out. And believe it or not, these contractions and rarefications manifested themselves as sound waves. Right there in the early universe, there were sound waves. Now, these particular sound waves would not be able to be detected by the human ear. So even if you were alive back then, you wouldn't be able to hear these sound waves. But scientists can convert them to sound waves that we can actually hear. So if you think about, let's say you're blowing into a musical instrument and you have what I was talking about, the fundamental, right? That's the frequency of the note that you actually hear out of the musical instrument. Now, if you imagine that fundamental being the maximum contraction or the maximum compression of the particles right at 380,000 years after the Big Bang. So imagine they're all compressing the maximum compression that corresponds to the fundamental. And again, we're talking about an actual sound wave here, all right? Now imagine 
a compression of the particles and then a rarefication, so they expand out. That is considered the first overtone of the harmonic overtone series, and that represents the first time that the photons were not bumping into free electrons. The temperature was cool enough that for the first time, these photons can travel freely. So we had first a maximum compression, and now we have a maximum rarefication. That's the first overtone, again, a sound wave. And those photons that can now travel freely were detected by Arnold Penzias and Robert Wilson in the 60s as the microwave background radiation. Of course, the temperature is a lot colder very close to absolute zero, although you cannot actually reach absolute zero. It's impossible. There has to be some motion of particles in the universe, so you can never reach absolute zero. But it's close. It's very cold. And then you could think of the more overtones after that, after 380,000 years. But do you understand what we're talking about here? All the physics that makes an acoustical instrument sound the way it does, that gives it its timbre, right? It's acoustical quality. Well, that has to do with something that occurs naturally, the harmonic series. And the harmonic series is as old as the universe because we now know that the kind of sound waves that you hear at a musical instrument based on the harmonic series occurred in the first epoch of our universe. 380,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe sounded its fundamental frequency, and it was a sound wave. And then right after that, when the photons can travel freely, was the first overtone, behaving just like the sound wave that comes out of a flute or a clarinet. Is that mind-blowing or what? Every time you listen to a musical note, you're witnessing the birth of the universe in one sense. Now here's an added bonus. Ready for this? I'm going to play a fundamental note and a few of the overtones. Now I'm going to play them all at the same time. If you've heard any of my prior episodes from prior seasons, you'll recognize that as a major triad, one of the most fundamental structures in tonal music from before Bach to after Billy Joel. So within the naturally occurring harmonic series is a fundamental structure of what we know today as tonal music, the major triad. The major triad was born with the universe. Wow. Now, if that's not a topic of conversation for your next dinner, I don't know what is. And if you find that fascinating... I would tune in next time, because one thing about Dr. Music, it just gets better and better.